Welcome back. We are glad to be here tonight. We are moving through the book of John. We started back in December in John chapter 1 and now all the way in July, six months later, we're in John chapter 6. So praise the Lord for that. Um, John chapter 6 tonight. We last week we looked at Christ explaining uh, who he was, his relationship with the Father uh, after he had healed the the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, and now we are going to move ahead. But we need to understand, um, and I'll get into it a little more, that uh, this is not necessarily the day after he's had this meeting with the Pharisees. This is uh, some time has passed, and we're going to look at some information on that as we get into the message but John chapter 6 and verse number 1 says after these things Jesus went over the sea of Galilee which is the sea of Tiberias and a great multitude followed him followed him because they saw his miracles which he did on them that were diseased and Jesus went up into a mountain and there he sat with his disciples and the passover a feast of the Jews was nigh and Jesus then lifted up his eyes And saw a great company come unto him. He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fish as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and fulfilled filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for this simple truth. Lord, we know that you are all-powerful, that you are all-knowing, and that you are ever-present. But Lord, we forget. Lord, we fail to see your love and your care so often. Lord, help us to just walk in faith. Help us to see that nothing is too hard for you. No army is too big, no trial too hard. But you are right there with us, and you've already made a way. You have already prepared salvation. God, you have sent your Son to die on the cross for us to pay for our sins, and you've sent him ahead through all of our life to help us, to guide us, to direct us. So, Lord, please, tonight, guide our hearts, open our minds, and help this truth to sink in and take root. God, help it to change us and shape us to make us men and women of faith. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
The first thing we see here described in John chapter 6 is a great multitude. Uh, Jesus is now, he's becoming very famous at this point. Uh, as he departs from Jerusalem, he travels across the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, and, and a great mul multitude follows him. The Bible tells us that they followed because they saw his miracles. They didn't follow him because they wanted to be his disciple, because they wanted to learn and, and live like him. But they're following because they can get something from him. That's a great commentary on our world today. Uh, so many claim to follow God because of what he does for them. Not because of what he's done for them. Not because of their gratitude for his gift, but for what he can do for them in the now, in the present. Even Peter. Peter's faith failed briefly as Christ is crucified, but he very quickly learned to just trust. To trust and obey. I started reading uh, this book. <laughs> if you ever get a chance, uh, this is an abbreviated version of uh, a book written by George Mueller uh, on his life. This is the autobiography, uh, The Life of Trust. And um, it was condensed uh, to be printed in the United States. Uh, the man that that's put this together claims that if he had printed all of the works that were uh, effective or that were that were given in England that that were such had such great effect of Mueller's life, it would be something like eighteen hundred pages this size uh, of the the text. So he had to. Uh, condense and conform. Uh, he got the important things, the, the life of prayer and the, the great things that God did. He left out uh, some of the writings of Mueller were just simply um, reports of his orphanages and, and the giving uh, that was given in those orphanages to, to provide for them. So things that weren't necessarily important to the idea of what the narrative, what the, uh, the autobiography wanted to accomplish. But... Um, things that nevertheless are important and there are some there's some of that in there but it is amazing to see when when George Mueller decided to open his first orphanage when he took his first pastorate uh, he told the people that he would not take any money um, the orphanages he, he never asked for donations from anyone he simply just went to God with every need every little need and God answered every prayer. And this is really what we're going to see today in, in this fact that this multitude has now come to follow Christ and, and they're following for the wrong reasons, but Christ in His mercy and His grace still wants to take care of them. He still wants to, to be a witness, to be a blessing. And that's something that we need to understand as a church here as we begin to minister in this community, that there are going to be people that are not, uh, well, the majority of people are not going to follow. They're not going to be, they're not going to want to be here. They're not going to want to be involved. Yet, we are called to be a blessing. We are called to be a witness no matter what. But the thing we need to understand is that there's some missing days here. Uh, often when we read through the Gospels, 
we understand that each gospel, each author, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have different perspectives. Um, but we understand that they took place at the same time. What we don't often understand and don't think as we read each one individually is that there are gaps in each. And these gaps are there for several reasons. In some cases, uh, the author was not present at the time of some of the events that happened that are, that are recorded in other Gospels. Uh, in some cases, uh, the author didn't see the, the event as an important event. And in yet other cases, the event shows Jesus in a way that the author is not intending. We understand that as we read through the different Gospels, Jesus in each one is presented in a different way. Matthew describes Jesus as the king. Uh, so when you look at uh, the things of the way that the book of Matthew begins, Matthew begins with, his line- with, his, with Christ's lineage all the way to David, uh, all the way back to, to Abraham, but through David to Joseph and to Christ. Luke, or sorry, Mark, shows Jesus as the servant. So when you read Mark chapter 1, there's no lineage of Christ. It jumps right in just showing Christ serving and being a voice. Luke shows Christ as a man. Luke focused on the human aspect of Christ. So again, there is a there is the the retelling the recount or the account of Christ's actual birth uh, from being uh, conceived in the Virgin Mary through their trip to Bethlehem to being born in the stable. It's the only place that any of that information is found because Luke wanted to show Christ as man here on earth. And John, John shows Christ as God. So in John chapter 1, It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John goes through to explain who the Word is and and tie it all together that Christ is God. And each one of these perspectives, as these authors wrote, added for them to, or or allowed for them to uh, make account of some things and not make account of other things as they saw fit. Now that doesn't mean that they uh, are lying to us. It doesn't mean that there's any falsehood in it. It just means that uh, we all see things in a different way. Some of the things I see is very important, my wife doesn't see as important. Some of the things that she sees as important, I don't see as important. Most of the things that either of us see as important, the kids have no clue about. So we all have different aspects or different things that we look at. But there are several things that are recorded in multiple Gospels, uh, that multiple authors record. And through these, we can get a more accurate timeline of what happens. This feeding of the 5,000 is one of the only things that's recorded in all four Gospels. Uh, aside from the resurrection, the crucifixion, uh, this is one of the only other things that's actually recorded in all four Gospels. So in order to get an accurate timeline of where we're at, uh, we need to look back at some of the other Gospels and we need to understand that there are some things missing. So some things that have happened since John chapter 5 when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda and now we're fast forwarding to uh, the the feeding of the 5,000. 
one of the main things is the beheading of John the Baptist. That happened in Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. We have the healing of Mary Magdalene, who, was, who had seven demons cast out of her. That happened in Luke, or was, was told to us in Luke chapter 8. We have the calming of the storm in Mark chapter 4, which is also accounted in Luke chapter 8. The healing of the maniac of Gadara, which was in Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8. The healing of Jairus' daughter, Mark chapter 5, Luke chapter 8. The healing of uh, the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years, again, Mark chapter 5 and Luke chapter 8. And we have the sending of the apostles two by two. This is in Luke chapter 9, where we spoke about it a little bit this morning, where Christ gave them his power to heal, to cast out demons, to, to live for God. And he sent them out the first time to preach the gospel to the Jews. And now, almost a year has passed in the time when John is writing. And we understand that uh, John has now come back and he is now again reunited with Christ from his time as being sent out. And the first thing that's happened, all of this fame that's started to spread about Jesus is these people follow him to the mountain. And we understand that this is during the time of the Passover. Uh, this was, uh, this again, the Passover was brought out in Exodus. It was uh, proclaimed in Leviticus. In Leviticus, the Passover is called a feast of the Lord. Here, it's called a feast of the Jews. And we looked uh, last week and the week before and the week before that as we saw Christ heal the man at the pool of Bethesda that the Jews had perverted so much of the law. They perverted the Sabbath day. They were so focused on the fact that they couldn't work on the Sabbath day that, that they couldn't see the miracle that was right in front of them. And the same thing has happened here with the Passover. The Jews have perverted this feast, and, and while it is a, supposed to be a picture of what God did in Egypt when He came through and He took the firstborn of all of Egypt and He released the Jews and and sent them in, into the wilderness and freed them from their bondage, they have just forgotten all of that, and it's, they just do it out of duty. So much like the holidays that we, we have today. We, we celebrated the resurrection uh, a couple of months ago, and so many that would claim to be Christians, that would claim to be uh, followers of Christ, chased around a rabbit that lays eggs and tried to find candy. It's been diluted. But we see that as we come on to this piece of the Passover and as we understand that there's a break in time here, that, that there's a great problem. There's a multitude that's following Christ and they want to see Him, they want to touch Him, they want to benefit from what He, from what he is without benefiting from who he is. And Christ brings up that there's not enough food available to feed the great multitude that is gathered. Uh, in other accounts, the disciples come to Christ and ask him to send the people away so that they can find food. Because, honestly, they're following Christ. It's not Christ's responsibility to feed them. However, Christ, one, wants to use this as, an, as a time to teach, but two... He has compassion. 
And even in knowing that they are only there for their bellies, he chooses to feed them instead. But he does but where to get the food? Now Christ, we know, he already has a solution. It tells us in verse number six, and he said this to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Never miss that small detail. Christ, in his omniscience, knew that that multitude would follow him. He knew that they would go to the mountain. He knew that they would be in a place where they wouldn't be able to get the food they needed, where they wouldn't be able, uh, even if they had the money, wouldn't be able to go buy the food. And he prepared the heart of a young lad to be willing to serve. And we've seen this throughout uh, today. We've, we've seen it in, well, we saw it last week with Shamgar. We saw it uh, again this morning with Deborah. We saw it with, we're, we're seeing it in Ruth, that, that God has gone out of his way to prepare someone who's willing to serve. Even today, even now, God is going out of his way to prepare people to serve. I've told most of you my testimony and, and um, there's a lot of things that that just could not have happened by chance. And I, I was talking to uh, the pastor that I got saved under a couple days ago and um, he had called and left a message and just trying to be an encouragement and, and um, he's trying to help us out with a few things with the church that he's already been through and starting a church in Iowa so he's trying to Give me some guidance and some wisdom on those things. And, and, but one of the things he said is, you never know what it's, what it, what's going to come of just being in the community. He's so happy that we're going down to the park. Um, for me, it was, I was on the fire department and I was on duty and uh, we were called to take the fire truck down to the YMCA and set it up to... Uh, to let the kids climb around on it and it was they were having a special day and so we were just going to be there and just and I went into the day with the knowledge that when it was all said and done I was going to have to go back to the station and spend hours scrubbing the nasty grubby sticky sucker residue off of every surface inside that truck so I wasn't necessarily happy to be there I mean, I, I, I was cordial, I was polite, I was doing my job, but I wasn't necessarily happy that this is where we were and what we were doing. And this man came up and his kids wanted to climb around in the truck and they, they put on, that was the other thing, the kids always loved to try on our gear. So not only was I going to have to go back and clean up the truck, I was going to have to go back and clean up my boots and my coat and my helmet so that I could actually function and make sure everything was put back the way it was supposed to be. So he, he brought his kids by and they were, they were checking out the why and the kids are climbing around and I, I'm having a conversation and it, it wasn't anything spiritual. We were just talking about things in life. We were talking about the time of year and how beautiful Iowa was and the fact that they were coming up, moving up from Florida and he was asking about hunting and fishing and things like that. And, and he had made the comment that he was getting ready. He was moving up here to plant a church. And I had made the comment that there were already several churches in town and uh, several Baptist churches in town as a matter of fact and he said there's not going to be one there's not one in town that will be like this one 
And I kind of laughed it off. But that stuck with me. And then a couple days or a couple months later, uh, I was working for the lawn care company. And, of course, I showed up the first day, and, and he's there. And he's working. And uh, God just kept putting us together. And uh, he led me to the Lord the Friday that uh, actually my spiritual birthday was today's Sunday. So Saturday, Friday, Thursday. My spiritual birthday was Thursday. Uh, Friday, July 13th, 2007. Led me to the Lord in his kitchen. Showed me the love of God. All of that, none of that happened by chance. It was all orchestrated by God. From before I was ever born, this was being orchestrated. This didn't happen by chance. It wasn't by chance that this lad just happened to have five loaves and two fishes. And that's the only food that we see in this area. We don't even see that the disciples offered any food. But Christ asks Philip, he says, what shall we do? Or when shall we buy bread that these may eat? And Philip says, 200 pennyworth is not enough. Now we understand, I, I, I talked about it briefly in a side note, but uh, we understand that, that a penny was a day's wages for a man during this time. Yeah worked a whole day and not just what we call an eight hour day from sun up to sundown for a penny so what the disciples are saying is that more than half a year's wages is not enough to buy food for this great multitude to feed them till they're full it's not even enough as they say so that all may take a little and then where would they find it but again, Christ had already planned all this out. He's trying to teach the disciples something. And Andrew, uh, Andrew brings this little lad. And I don't know, it doesn't say how it all came out. I don't know if the lad came up and said, hey, I've got some lunch. Or if Andrew looked over and saw him and said, hey, he's got some lunch. I don't know. But this lad had five barley loaves and two fishes. Five barley loaves and two fishes. The Bible makes no mention of this lad being with anyone else, of this amount of food belonging to anyone else. So we can only assume that this was supposed to be enough to feed just him. As I, like I said, I just started. I'm only in into the second chapter on uh, George Mueller's book. But imagine what can be done with just one. One of the things that they attribute, and they have proof, uh, they have accounts of what's happened, but they attribute the when the writings of Mueller were printed. In England, a young man in, in uh, Ireland got a hold of them and read them and was burdened uh, to begin to pray about being a witness in his community. And he prayed for uh, a helper. And 
God answered that prayer and a helper came. And he prayed, they prayed for, not not Ireland, Scotland. Uh, they began to pray for a small group and a small group, God allowed that to happen. And through that small group, a great revival happened. All because a young man read a book about another man that was willing to live for God completely. Here, more than 5,000 people are going to be fed because a young man was willing to share his lunch. He had a willing heart. And Christ was ready to use that willing heart. Christ prayed and he broke the bread and the multitude was fed. And everyone that was present had their fill. They got full. Now, I know Brother Grant and Mrs. Grant, you guys have, your kids are grown now. They're my age. But you have grandchildren. And some of them are boys. And, you know, I know with my boys, we can take them to the buffet and they can eat and they can eat and they can eat and they can eat. And they say they're done. They say they're full. And then we get home and they want to eat and they want to eat and they want to eat. It's only been like 20 or 30 minutes. These people were filled. They were satisfied. More than 5,000 people were fed with the lunch of one young man. And notice that at the end of all of this, they took up for the leftovers and they filled 12 baskets. 12. From what they took up left over was far more than what they started with. A tremendous miracle had been performed. The needs of thousands had been met and lives had been changed. All of this happened because one young man, one little lad, was willing to share his lunch. Now this might not seem like a huge thing. But it really is a framework for our lives. If we can just have the heart of that little lad, have the faith of those that sat down and didn't question what they were given, we can see amazing things. I've prayed often and I've prayed often with you that God would change this town and He would change this county and He would change this state and this country and this world. And it's possible. It's definitely not probable. But it's possible. But it's going to take us being completely given over to what God has. Completely willing to fill the gap.
I got some extra here that I, I forgot to delete from the last one. I got confused. Little is much when God is in it. I love that song. And it is so true. I have seen so many times this very scenario played out. I remember being on the road in Texas on our first our first project. And um, we jumped in completely with almost no support and uh, just left and the the money that we'd gotten from our garage sales as we as before we had left had run out and we are sitting in Texas and, and I, I'm in working and Rachel's making a list of things that we needed for for dinner and and uh, we didn't have any money to go to the store I just spent what I had on getting the truck fixed and and um, she hears a knock on the trailer door and uh, it was one of the ladies in the church and the church was providing one meal a day for us and we were so thankful for that but this this dear lady in the church and I can't even remember which one it was I can't remember who it was but uh, she knocked on the door and, and Rachel opened the door and she said hey I, I've got some stuff in the trunk of my car for you and um, she Rachel hadn't talked to me she hadn't given me any idea of what was on the list and, she followed the little lady out and, and the lady opened the trunk and every item on Rachel's list was in the trunk of her car. Everyone. Exact items. Not not just, you know, random, but exact, exactly what she had written down. And I, we have story after story after story of that when we were on the road and, and given completely to just everything God had for us the good and the bad and we've talked about our trip to West Virginia and the, the hurricane coming in and all the things that, that happened and, and coming away from that during that time was, was very discouraging while we were there the week we were there because we just were not getting any of the work done we were not what we were there to do we were not getting accomplished because it was raining and, and I mean, we drove through 18 inches of water on the way out of the church uh, because the church was flooded. Everything that we were, everywhere we were supposed to be working was flooded. But even in that, even in that storm, God showed us amazing truths and he provided and he cared for us. Today, we're, we're small. And it's just just a few of us. And we are praying and, and hoping and believing that God is going to send us uh, someone. That God is going to have someone from the community get saved and, and the fire is going to start. And I believe that it's going to happen. We just have to hold on and see. We have to continue to live and walk in faith. And continue to be willing to you willing to be used and see what God does.